Today's episode is brought to you in part by Logos. Logos combines digital books with intelligent software to help you study the Bible deeply. Do word studies with one click, search for virtually anything in your Bible, and enjoy dozens of features that help you see more in Scripture. Right now, you can find my book, Virtuous Persuasion, A Theology of Christian Mission, as well as get a listener discount on Logos by visiting logos.com slash mniebauer. That's logos.com slash mniebauer. How do we forgive others who have harmed us? And what gives us the strength to forgive? What is the relationship between forgiveness and reconciliation? What must happen for broken relationships to be truly restored in Christ? Welcome to This We Believe, a podcast where we explain the essential texts of the Christian faith. My name is Dr. Michael Niebauer. As we recite the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to forgive us our debts, all the ways we have sinned, in all the ways we have trespassed against God and God's commands. In confessing our sins and believing in Jesus' death and resurrection, we have assurance that our sins truly are forgiven. However, the Lord's Prayer continues with a request. In response to receiving forgiveness from God, we are called to extend this same forgiveness to all of those who have harmed us. In the Bible, Jesus tells a parable about a vineyard owner who forgives the debts of one of his servants. The servant, however, turns around and beats up a subordinate who owes him money. The vineyard owner is enraged and throws the servant in jail. The point of this parable should be obvious. As God forgives us, we must forgive others. However, extending forgiveness to others can be difficult, and it is often hardest for those friendships that we value the most. If a random stranger insults me on social media, I can shrug that off pretty quickly. However, if my best friend makes a cutting remark at my expense, I am more deeply wounded. A trespass from a close friend requires one to enter into a process of forgiveness with the hope of reconciliation. What does such a process look like? We can discern four steps. First, we have to acknowledge that a trespass has occurred, that harm has been done to us. Sometimes there are minor nuisances that we can and should shrug off. There are other times in which we are offended or hurt because we misinterpreted someone else's thoughts or actions. Here, a simple conversation with our friend is all that is needed to clear up any issues. However, for times in which we have been trespassed against, it is imperative that we acknowledge the harm and pain that someone else has caused us. In such situations, there is a a temptation instead to paper over the damage done to us, or to pretend that such trespasses are not a problem. We should resist this urge, because when we paper over our sins or the sins against us, we will settle for less in our relationships. Imagine if a husband committed adultery and their wife treated this offense lightly, claiming it was not a big deal. If this were the case, we would say that their marriage was a sham. Treating such a serious sin lightly would diminish their relationship. It would not do justice to the serious damage that adultery causes. We are called to care deeply for the relationships in our lives. 
And this means being willing to fight for these relationships, to do the hard work of addressing and dealing with the wounds, with the hope that through forgiveness and reconciliation, we might both heal and strengthen these relationships. Once we acknowledge this harm, we can turn to the next step, which is to acknowledge our own sin in God's forgiveness. When we take seriously the sins done to us, we will be confronted by the fact that God takes seriously our sins against Him. God does not paper over our sin or treat it lightly. God cares deeply about our relationship with Him and does not want to diminish this relationship by settling for less. God, in a sense, fights for our friendship. In the Old Testament, he reveals the gravity of our sins through the initiation of a sacrificial system. In the sacrificing of animals, Israel was taught that their sins caused harm, that blood was spilled for their sins, and that someone had to take this harm upon themselves in order that their sins might be forgiven. Not only does God acknowledge the harm of sin, he also initiates the process by which we can be forgiven our sins. This he does by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to take upon himself our sins and the sins of the world. In the cross, we see both the damaging magnitude of our sin and the overwhelming mercy of God in forgiving our sins. In recognizing the awesome power of the cross, we learn that God initiates forgiveness and that the power to forgive sins is always rooted in the power of God. Our world has developed numerous systems for addressing harm. There are legal punishments, there are conflict mediation guidelines, there are truth and reconciliation commissions. While some of these frameworks can be helpful, none of them guarantee the establishment of true forgiveness. Whatever process, whatever way we go about dealing with trespasses done to us, ultimately forgiveness can only be extended if it is rooted in the power of the cross. We have the power to forgive first and foremost because God has forgiven us. This also tells us that since God took the initiative to forgive us before we could even ask for forgiveness, we must take the initiative to forgive others in our hearts before they have an opportunity to apologize. Forgiveness is victim-initiated. If we wait for someone to recognize their sin against us and approach us to apologize, there's a good chance we will be waiting for eternity. Now, once we acknowledge the source of true forgiveness, we can begin to engage in an act of forgiveness, which is our third step. When we forgive, we swallow up the pain and hurt done to us and absorb it onto ourselves. In so doing, we let go of our desire to see the perpetrator punished. We forego retribution, no longer demanding punishment for those who have harmed us. We see this most clearly in the forgiving of debts. When we forgive someone's debt, we pay the cost ourselves and no longer require repayment. In effect, the debt is no longer a barrier to our relationship. The same is true for the sins we forgive. When we forgive, we pay the emotional pain ourselves and no longer let the harmful act stand in the way of our friendship. Such an act is a gift. It is the give part of the word forgive. 
We give as a free gift the space to allow our enemy to be free of their guilt in return to a relationship with us. And this brings us to our last step. Last, we attempt to reconcile with those who have harmed us. When we forgive, we open the door to those who have harmed us, allowing them to turn back to us and enter into a renewed and restored relationship. This last step is often the hardest, because it is not ultimately in our control. When we give space for reconciliation, we have to allow the offender to address us, and they may in turn express some of the potential ways we have harmed them. Conflict is rarely solely one-sided. We are all victims of sin and perpetrators of sin. As such, there may be ways that we have harmed our friend, and engaging in reconciliation may bring up these issues. In deep relationships and marriages, conflict resolution often opens up a number of wounds given and received by each other. The blessing, however, is that mutual forgiveness in such contexts holds forth the possibility of breaking cycles of reciprocal harm. In addition to these discussions, further actions may need to be discussed in order to build healthier relationships going forward. Those who have harmed us may need to make changes in their life so that they do not harm us again. Again, forgiveness never takes sin lightly. Those who are unwilling to change may not desire to truly be forgiven. There's also the possibility that when we give space to our friend by extending forgiveness, they may choose not to receive our gift. They may not acknowledge the harm that they have caused and refuse to engage in reconciliation. In such cases, there cannot be a restored relationship. The victim can still experience healing, letting go of desires for retribution or vengeance, but the friendship remains severed or diminished. One of the ways we can envision this is that when we extend forgiveness, we hold up our hands outward. If our friend refuses to receive our forgiveness, those hands become hands of blessing. We in a sense say to our friend, go in peace. I no longer hold anger towards you. But if our friend turns and receives our forgiveness, those outstretched arms become the arms of an embrace. We welcome our friend back into our life, embracing them and drawing them close, both physically and spiritually. In the Bible, Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son. It is about a son who rejects his father and travels far from home, squandering his family fortune. When he realizes his error, he returns home destitute. While he is expecting to beg to be received back home, his father sees him from afar, runs up to him, and embraces him, welcoming him back with open arms. The father initiates forgiveness, not holding the sins of his son against him. The father had already forgiven his son and had stood with open arms for years, waiting for his son to return to receive his forgiveness. His arms were stretched out for years in a sign of peace, until finally his son repented, and those arms became the arms of loving embrace. Of course, God also stands with open arms, initiating forgiveness through the cross of Christ. Once we repent and turn to him, he always stands ready to embrace us as our loving Father. In church, we are called to model forgiveness each Sunday by participating in the passing of the peace. This is not merely meant to be a time where we shake hands with those around us. It is a time in which we are meant to seek reconciliation with those who have harmed us. 
Then, after we do, we participate in communion, this act of joining together with all other Christians to celebrate the fact that Jesus has made reconciliation possible between us and God, and, through the power of Jesus, we too can be reconciled to all those in his church. I'd like to thank you for joining me today on This We Believe. If you have enjoyed this episode, I'd ask that you tell one other friend about us. This will go a long way in helping us reach others. If you'd like to connect further, you can visit our Facebook page at This We Believe Podcast, our Twitter at we underscore believe underscore pod. Take care and God bless.